welcome to the Geeky Rummy podcast. Joining me today is Mr. Lee Froyce. How are they? Hello. And Mr. Keith Bloomfield is back in the house. How are you? I'm very well, Ryan. Hello and hello to all our listeners. <laughs> it's been a long while since we've had a chat since uh, our lovely Larry Bender Jr. in the last episode, which you can always listen back to on all our listen back services. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, but Keith, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Uh, not experiencing time in the same way as you. <laughs> um, you say it's been a long time. I think that was only what, that was only yesterday, wasn't it? Because um, time time seems to be like tiny, and it doesn't seem to be going past very quickly. I don't seem to have well, got anything done at all. It's the gravitational effect of the Birmingham City Centre roadworks, Keith. Yeah. They just dilate all time around. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I'm a prime example of, of Einstein's theory of relativity. I am much denser than the world around me, so therefore time. Um, goes differently for me because I, I don't float uh, i'm not a floater uh i, I just do you want to rephrase that <laughs> no I, you can use that as a, as a voice clip so i sink so I, th I think i'm very dense but um no i think the the most geeky things i've been doing recently is catching up with a couple of um, good tv shows that are um have now come to our shores the, the final season of um final space is now mm -hmm. on netflix but i'm kind of uh drip feeding that because i don't want it to be over so I'm kind of doing one episode a week, uh, in much the same way as I'm trying to do, like, you know, what what if one one episode a week and Ted Lasso is one episode a week. Um, so I'm trying to kind of drip feed myself a little bit with that. Um, I've been uh, supporting a few Kickstarters. If you read our regular web pages every week, there was um, the Ian Richardson art book, which has only just finished just in the last finished yesterday wasn't it successfully funded 577% over its target I believe um, so that'd be quite good because obviously he's a local boy so I haven't got to worry about shipping from America taking six months um, as long as it doesn't go on a lorry anywhere I'll be okay <laughs> um, so that should be good and then uh, Plan B Comics a guy called Nick Holmes um, I, some, I don't know how I've discovered it I, I saw his art and I kind of liked the style it was very kind of like you know 90s indie Jamie Hewlett kind of um, very graphic and he did a couple of books one was uh, All All Star Bazooka Heroes or Superstars I can't remember the title it was a big title but that was cool and then he did another series which was called Final Girl which was kind of like a, a riff on 80s slasher um, movies so Nightmare on Elm Street and um, Jason Voorhees and whatever so the second issue of that went up on Kickstarter as well that was successfully funded I think there's a few days left on that but that's really cool um, so I did that uh, I've been picking up my regular comics, but I'm not reading them, which is very poor. So I've got a bunch um, that I haven't read. Lots of things going on in the X-Men. Um, but I had to go to a, the other comic shop very, very badly. I went to the other one because I missed some issues and they hadn't got it in where I needed it. Um, but whilst I was wandering around that store, I managed to pick up uh, this wee beastie, um, Ooh, which is um, uh, Juan Ortiz's uh, art book for Lost in Space. Um, I've got the the one he did for the original 60s Star Trek show. Um, mm -hmm. So these are basically just posters for all the episodes. Um, and he does a very graphic style. Um, but they are kind of like, I don't know if people can see, uh, some very nice... Oh, that's really nice. Very nice illustrations. It does really match. Yeah, it kind of suits, the, it suits yeah. the kind of 60s uh, style, which is why the, six, the 60s Star Trek one works. He did one for The Next Generation, which wasn't quite as groovy. Didn't work quite for it, but that was two ninety nine. Um, so I grabbed one of those. I might go and get another one and put them up, um, just get, rip some out and put them up as posters around the house, which is quite cool. Um, yes, that's good. 
So that kind of space. That's basically it. Otherwise, I've been kind of just kind of snowed under with, uh, with the the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's it's been an odd few past weeks here in the UK. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's read all about the food shortages and fuel shortages and. Oh yeah, the, the whole fact services. it went Mad Max the Road Warrior for for a, a, a few days. <laughs> Well, I don't think they could have timed the sale of the uh, Mad Max vehicles at auction in the in the Australia at any time better. I was sorely tempted to put a deposit down on the doof wagon, yeah. just because that is the only thing that would possibly make any traffic move in Birmingham was hitting that, but hitting the uh, guitar. Yeah. I, I just feel that like British motorists didn't really embrace the Mad Maxness of it as much as they could, because all on the news, all I could see was people in track suits and shell suits and like you know, <laughs> those baggy joggers that are just underneath <laughs> the line of their buttocks for some reason yes. and then they're kind of like calvin klein's just above them it's like no where's the where's the rubber suits and the gimp helmets and the kind of like you know the <laughs> the feather boas around the around the shoulders and you know torn up american football costumes and stuff he, he, so, you of all people should know that like the british versions of things are always much lower budget <laughs> <laughs> i i did enjoy i saw a couple of videos floating around the internet one of a guy riding a bicycle through the queue at a petrol station and then he followed that up with riding a horse through the petrol station <laughs> to basically say, ha, I have a horse <laughs> and I don't need petrol. Just needs fuel of a different kind of horse. Yeah. Put it in the uh, field. Yeah. <laughs> Cheap. <laughs> Lee, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Um, so I've been like trying to get through a few recent games. Um, been playing through uh, Keener Bridge of Spirits. Which has been sort of heavily promoted around like the PS5, although there is a PS4 version, which is the version that I'm playing. Um, it's uh, it's honestly one of the most charming games that I've ever played. Um, it's made by a studio who had never made a game before, but they used to be like an animation studio primar primarily. Mm -hmm. They did um, a, a Majora's Mask thing online a few years back. Like mm -hmm. a, sort of, I think they remade like the intro to Majora's Mask. It was very very detailed and they just had to you know, like make their own game and you can tell this is an animation studio because <laughs> it's so well animated just all the way through and i love really good expressive animation and it just nails it all the time like the characters are incredibly expressive and you've got like these little creatures that follow you around everywhere and they help you out they are adorable mm -hmm. And if they don't start selling like the plush toys of those, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> Sounds very Nino Cooney style, so like that level five Ghibli kind of. It's um, it's more kind of in the vein of like, I mean, gameplay wise, definitely kind of more Zelda-ish. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of big spaces to explore, and you gain abilities in certain places, and yeah, and all that, and. Um, I think, like, visually, we're, you're probably looking more at things like Pixar. So Western-style animation, yeah, over-anime yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really, it's just really charming. It's one of those things where you kind of wander through the world and you keep discovering these little things that are tucked away. And there are so few games that have that, like, while you're exploring, mm -hmm. you genuinely find little things that make yeah. exploring worth it. There's a lot of big open world games out there at the moment, which are just like a lot of copy and paste environments that you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a thing, like, for instance, Ghost of Tsushima, I realized about halfway through that game that every single house is the exact same house. 
just copied <laughs> and pasted elsewhere in the world. You don't get it's... that in this game. So. Yeah. And you get like Ubisoft with its uh, icon bath over yes. and every yeah. every single game. Yeah. 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 It's um it's a it's a really really lovely little game. Um, I'll probably once I'm done with it, probably get a video up on my YouTube channel describing my thoughts in full. Um, mm-hmm. I've also started up the new Life is Strange as well. I uh, played right. the first chapter of that. Um, it's very good so far. And Has it maintained the quality of the previous games? It's a different studio this time around. It's All a different right. studio, but I think they did the Before the Storm prequel mm-hmm. uh, to like the very first game. So they've got like some experience with the series. Um, it's uh, obviously still very much chapter one, but the the melodrama has happened and the sad indie music kicks in about four or five <laughs> times within the first 10 minutes and you're just like ah yes this is definitely a life is strange game <laughs> yeah, that sounds really cool any other highlights um those are kind of the main things i've been playing at the moment as well as a lot of tomb raider uh, um because this is the tomb raider anniversary month yes. so i've got a bunch of stuff coming out on my youtube channel so mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned the Teddy series announcement earlier. Yes. Which was a uh, certain voice actress. Yes, Hayley Atwell is going to be playing Lara Croft, and I'm very pleased with that news. Um, I've looked up clips of Agent Carter, because obviously it's not a show yeah. that I would ever watch, because it's a Marvel thing. Um, but um, like just from her performance in that, I'm like, she's going to get Lara Croft exactly right. And I'm... I mean, they could have gone with Katie Price, so... <laughs> you, you shouldn't let the fact that it's a marvel show put you off actually watching agent carter because it's a great yeah. period show with a great yeah but cast. It, can, it, it connects to captain america and i don't care i wouldn't <laughs> say it does actually because the whole shield thing is pretty much completely separate from yeah. the first avenger you don't really need to watch the first avenger to get captain carter you, you, you should just well. watch it as a kind of noir kick-ass pulp uh mm. lady protagonist show mm. with with mm-hmm. and 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 Hayley atwell is amazing in it she's, mm-hmm. she's yeah. absolutely fabulous um I, I, I think you'd like it it's, it's yeah. you know they don't really mention anything else to do with marvel much yeah i mean i'd say there's more content about the captain america thing and the uh captain carter what if 20 minute short than there was in both yeah. seasons of mm. uh agent carter mm. yeah it's it's a good show. It's a good show. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's check it out. Cool. What about you, Ryan? What have you been up to? Uh, lots of consuming content. So finally finished Mass Effect. It's done. It's out of the way. <laughs> so I'm very tempted. Is that all? Just... All three games now. All three games oh, are done. Okay. I'm very very tempted to do another run through, <laughs> but I'm like. Mm, I put like 200 hours into that one from start to finish. Like, can I can I justify what is pretty much five weeks of work full time into a video game again? Well, I mean, but, like, I assume you've got whichever you, whether you went Paragon or Renegade, you could do the other one. So that's how you can yeah. justify. <laughs> no, I've done a male shepherd, so now I need to do a female shepherd. Yeah. So there's there's four varieties of game yeah. that you need to play. It's kind of like 800 hours on one video game in a year is probably a little bit. <laughs> but um, it was fantastic. And the Legendary Edition, they've done such a great job on it to remaster it. It's given me a lot of hope for like the Dead Space remaster that they're doing. If EA kind of thinks sensibly about how they do the remasters and not 
change in which of the underlying game, just give it a spruce up and bring up the control scheme to a more modern standard. I'm assuming this is probably going to be a Dragon Age trilogy remaster at some point as well now. Mainly because it's just easy money for EA. It's like, look, here's a decent franchise we released a while ago. Have it again. I do, I do like that the whole issue with Battlefront 2 and the success of Jedi Fallen Order has made EA realize, oh, actually, maybe we should do single player games again. Maybe yeah. that is actually a good idea and there is an audience. Yeah, it's like, and you can still pump out your Call of Duties and your uh, Battlefront battlefield games and do all that and it's fine and there's an audience for that people who pay fifa every year but there is also still a gigantic audience of people who want to play an actual narrative story in an interesting domain that's the thing when you see how much money fifa makes it kind of doesn't justify them not making single player games because they can just use the vast profit from fifa to fund those single smaller projects Yeah. yeah and just do it that way i wonder why and I, I imagine it might happen later on, is they don't take a subscription model for those big multiplayer games. So your FIFAs and your Modern Warfares or whatever it don't is. Don't give them and ideas, you, Keith. You, you don't actually buy a single game. You just buy a subscription to the whole thing. Yeah, and but, then... yeah but Keith, every single year, they get people to, to pay 60 quid for a new FIFA, and that brings in a lot of money by itself. Yeah. So and, then they they buy... yeah. yeah and then they buy all the trading card yeah. packs. But then you should we just you should, we, we should all just not buy the new one because the games themselves are only one pound. I mean, I'm already CEX with you there. Following you. <laughs> I'm already. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna find a detractor here, Keith. I think the difference is they've already done a Call of Duty free to play spin-off, which has the Fortnite season pass model. Yeah. But as you've said, I think there's going to be that season pass model as mentioned coming to a FIFA game anytime soon now, where you'll buy the sixty pound base game and then you'll have to have a season pass to play online or for the ultimate yeah. football league or whatever they call it now yeah they should they should do one for old age pensioners that like you you don't have any of the modern players you get like peter beardsley and and um get you know <laughs> gary neville or even older uh players yeah. you go yeah but they, they assembled the classic but they, teams but if they do that keith they were they're, they're hurting their demographic of 14 year olds who've stolen <laughs> their parents credit card <laughs> yes <laughs> Screaming at the screen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, other media consumption has been Star Wars Vision. I've watched the first two episodes. Again, I'm trying to do what you do, Keith, and not do what I did with Love, Death and Robots and watch mm. it all in one night and then be upset there's no more for a year. <laughs> Are so you watching it can... in Japanese first? I'm watching the English dub, and then uh... I'll go back and watch the Japanese version because then it won't be tainted when I listen to the English dub afterwards. Okay, because I'm going to do so Jap- I'm going to do Japanese one. first and then possibly English after. But that's the wrong way around because then you'll watch the Japanese version, and see this beautifully crafted anime, and then you'll hear it with American accents over yeah. the top, and then you'll get really upset. Yeah, but then I can just watch the Japanese one and then not watch the English one at yeah. all, and then I'm all right. True, it's kind of good. yeah. Um, I can tell how much anime I've watched through my childhood by the fact that I don't notice subtitles in films anymore. Because another thing I did was went with a couple of friends to see the 4K re-release of Ghost in the Shell in IMAX. And and that that was just a stunning experience. It's one of the best animes of all time. It's always amazing. Production IG. I think there was like a $3 million budget on it, which sounds like a lot of money, but is nothing for an animated movie considering how many frames need to be drawn. And it still stands up to this day. It's still beautiful. Uh, soundtrack's amazing. It was 
well worth the visit just to watch that in IMAX. And I'll, I'll probably get the re-release when it comes out on 4K Blu-ray or whatever it is. But really, really do recommend it if you've never seen Ghost of the Shell. Pretty much now is the best time to rewatch it. In Lee Keith, have you ever watched Ghost in the Shell? Of course, of course. I've still got my original uh, DVD version from when that was first released. Are oh, we well, all just reaching across to find our copies? Um, I would, but I think it's up there somewhere. Yeah, it's all the way over there, so I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, I'd get out my standalone complex box sets, but that'd just be like three hours of me going, look at the touching cover. Well, I, I have those box sets. They're up in the very corner there, but like, uh, I haven't actually watched them yet. <laughs> it's too it's too far on the side behind everything else. I can easily get to my Godzillas and my Cashurns and my Verses, but and, and my <laughs> Ghost in the Shells and my Apple Seeds are a bit further in, and I've hurt my arm now as a result. I can, I can get my Splatoon Amiibos, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did manage to find my copy of the Animatrix, though, which was good. I was a bit concerned I'd lost it, but I had found it. I do have Prime nearby. <laughs> Go for another Japanese animation, then. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, really do recommend it. If you've not seen it, it's one of the greatest animes of all time and really deserves a watch doesn't even deserve a watch if you're an anime fan it just deserves a watch if you're a film fan and pretty much the entire matrix was spawned off the back of ghost in the shell you can see so much influence goes into that film yeah mm-hmm. anyway coming up on the show today keith will be regaling us with the greatest comics of the last few weeks uh we'll be looking at some new trailers of stuff that is on the way soon or release now uh we'll also be talking about the super mario movie cast is it just super, is it super mario or is it mario brothers or have they not decided yet um just I, announced I, mario movie I, I so many people seem to be calling it different things that i'm not sure what the official title is yes nintendo are making a mario movie with illumination which means possibly the minions are going to show up in at some point <laughs> but yeah <laughs> We shall see how that goes. We'll be talking about Lee will be picking his greatest games of the last few weeks as well. But we'll be back shortly. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute. See what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Now it's time to take a look at some of the comics out now and coming soon in the Geeky Brummy pool list. And to start you off, we have a previous comic of the week. It's Star Trek Year 5, issue 24 from IDW Publishing. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Sylvia Califano, inks by Elisabetta DiMarco and coloured by Charlie Kutroff. And in this issue, their journey has taken them to the edge of the known universe and beyond. They faced down incredible odds conquered incredible enemies and now here in the shadow of home their mission will come to an end and nothing will ever be the same the crew of the enterprise will put it all on the line for the grand finale of star trek year five 
And as I've said before, this is the last issue of the story. Uh, we have the final epilogue issue to follow this. Uh, so I felt it was time to give this book the title of Comic of the Week. Across the last 24 issues, the team of creatives under the guidance of Lansing and Kelly have created one of the best Star Trek stories I've ever read. I've loved how the series captures all that made the original series so great and how elegantly it has woven into the changes coming as the crew and the ship move towards the era of the motion picture and the subsequent movies. If you've not picked this up, you really should grab the trades and immerse yourself in the 23rd century and revel in the incredible story that's been crafted here. It's highly recommended. Then we have... Batman 89, issue two from DC Comics. This is written by Sam Hamm with art by Joe Quinones and colored by Leonardo Ito. In this issue, a showdown in Burnside leaves both Batman and the Gotham Borough reeling as the community rallies together behind Harvey Dent. Can Bruce find a way forward for both Batman and the city? I loved the first issue and Quinones is the perfect artist for this series. It's been a while since I've regularly bought a Batman book and I feel really out of the loop with the main line, but as a big fan of Burton's movies, this has proven to be a great way to get reacquainted with The Dark Knight. Next up, we have Fight Girls issue three from AWA and Upshot Studios. This is written and illustrated by Frank Cho and coloured by Sabrine Rich. In this issue, 10 hard of nails women face off in an ancient contest of champions where the winner truly takes all the title of Queen of the Galaxy. To win the challenge, each contestant must survive the hazards of the planet's harsh landscape, the ferocious predators on and below its service, and their fellow contestants. This edition of the contest has a twist. One of the contestants is an infiltrator who has her eye on something bigger than the prize. Who is she and what does she really want? This book looks incredible and has been great fun so far. I can feel it building to an interesting denouement. And as long as the journey there continues to be filled with adventure and giant monsters, I'm there for it. Next, we have The Trial of Magneto, issue two from Marvel Comics. This is written by Lee Williams with art by Lucas Wernick, coloured by Edgar Delgado, with a cover by Valerio Schulte. And in this issue, it's habeas corpses. Heroes of the Marvel Universe come to Krakoa for a memorial. Now they've got a fight. Magneto pushes Krakoa and the council to the brink. Also, there's something wrong with the body. I didn't pick the first issue of this series up and I wasn't sure it would do anything interesting. How wrong I was, my local comic shop slipped this into my regular order and I was hooked. The art is absolutely lovely and there is much more going on here than I expected. Things are going to change for the mutants as a result of the contents of this series and Lee Williams has proven before just how good a writer she can be. Now we have another previous comic of the week and one I'm reading digitally. It's 2000 AD, Prog 2250 from Rebellion. This issue was written by Gordon Rennie, Ian Edgington, Roger Language, Dan Abnett, Chris Weston, Maura McHugh, Rob Williams and Arthur Wyatt and features art from Jake Lynch, Antonio Fuso, Disraeli, Mark Harrison, Lee Carter, Chris Weston and Brett Parson and was colored by Jim Boswell with letters by Annie Parkhouse, Jim Campbell and Simon Boland. In this issue, it features the start of five new ongoing series and a two scintillating one-offs in a pulse-pounding package of thrill power. And it's crowned off with a brand new cover from master artist Mike McMahon, a bold and evocative image of the future hardline lawman Judge Dredd, one of 2000 AD's most iconic artists. McMahon remains one of the masters of Dredd with an ever-evolving style that has produced some of the series' greatest moments. 
If you're a lapsed reader of The Mighty Prog, then now's the perfect time to jump back in. This is another of the issues that kick off a whole new set of stories, so you can get in on the ground floor for each tale. Judge Dread, The Out, and Scarlet Traces are some of my favourite strips, but with the double leaks at Pandora Perfect, also starting new runs, and a nice one off Anderson's side division, and a very fantastic future shock from Chris Weston, there's bound to be something here you'll enjoy. The next comic on the book list is Once and Future Issue 20 from Boom Studios, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora and colours by Tamara Bonvillian. In this issue, it's Arthur versus Arthur. Knowing that the Grail Castle may be their best chance of survival, Bridget, Duncan and Rose hunker down and prepare for the worst. Elsewhere, the resurrected King Arthur challenges an arriving usurper to his rightful throne, another King Arthur, and raises an army of the undead to do it. But the new Arthur has the greatest knight of all on his side, Lancelot. Uh, I can remember when this looked like it was going to be a six-issue miniseries, and now here we are at the 20th issue. There's plenty to explore in British folklore, and we've only just scratched the surface. I'm really enjoying this series, and I do recommend you check it out. The writing and art are top-notch, and there is always plenty to enjoy. Up next, it's X-Men issue three from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Larraz. In this issue, evolution is the enemy. The X-Men are no strangers to being targeted for their genes, but when the high evolutionary returns with his brand of unnatural selection, the survival of the whole planet is at stake. Okay. I can see the high evolutionary here on this cover, and so that can't be good news. This new X-Men series is plenty of fun and seems to be trying something new in a post-Krakoa world. Laraz continues to deliver some of the best renditions of the team I've seen in a while, and Duggan is a writer whose previous work I've enjoyed and is doing a great job here. Let's see where they take us next. Up next, we have X-Men, the Onslaught Revelation, one shot from Marvel Comics, written by Simon Spuriat with art by Bob Quinn. In this issue, you have strayed from the way of X. The onslaught is upon you. The X-Men's greatest foe, mutant kind's primal evil, slithers into the minds of its most senior leaders. The kids whisper of the crucible, a party to end all parties, a party to end everything. The seals are broken, the trumpets have sounded, only a small band of eccentric mutants can hope to break the fall. Can Nightcrawler light the spark that will drive out the shadows, or will Krakoa slip into the abyss? This is a spin-off one-shot of the recent Way of X book, which had a rather short run. There will be lots to wrap up in this issue, and I hope Kurt and David manage to survive. Spurrier has been a great addition to the X writer pool, and I'm hoping we'll see him on another book soon. The next comic on the pool list and my current comic of the week is Adventure Man issue five from Image Comics. This is written by Matt Fraction with art by Rachel and Terry Dodson. And in this issue, it's the greatest unknown as New York teaches on the brink of a strange Armageddon. Claire tries the Adventure Man mantle on for size just in time to face the monstrous evil that vanquished her predecessor. Only he didn't have a family like hers. Adventure Man returns this week after a short break. I loved the first four issues. Fraction and the Dodsons have managed to recreate the joy of reading Golden Age pulp adventures. This is an absolutely remarkable book. And if you love the likes of Indiana Jones, Doc Savage or John Carter of Mars, then you should pick this up. Next up, we have the first in a trio of Marvel books, and this one is Amazing Fantasy Issue 3, written and illustrated by Keir Andrews. And in this issue, experience these heroes like never before. On this amazing island of fantasy, World War II Cap, Teenage Spidey, and Spy School Black Widow have found their tribes. They must now meet on the battlefield of death. The stage is set, the actors are in place, all that's left is war. Or is there one last chance to stop it all? 
This book is wild and so enjoyable. Claire Andrews has done a great job taking some of Marvel's premier heroes and taking them off in new and unique ways. I really dig the throwback to the comics of the 60s and 70s, and these covers are worth picking up for the book by themselves. If you love stuff like heavy metal, then you should definitely check this one out. Then we have Sword Issue 8, written by Al Ewing with art by Gilyu Villanova. In this issue, Long Live the Queen. By the time you're reading this, you know. You know who sits in the central seat of Akaro. You know who speaks for Sol. Storm rules. But when you have to prove to your people who you are every single day without fail, what becomes of who you were? Finally, we have an issue of Sword that isn't tied into some wider story arc. I hope this means Al will be able to stretch his quite considerable storytelling skills. The whole premise of Sword has been intriguing, and I don't think we've seen yet what this team can do. With Inferno starting this week, the future of this title may be a little different to what we expect. And speaking of Inferno, here it is, issue number one, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Schilti. And in this issue, the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men begins here. There will be an island, not the first, but the last. Promises were made and broken. The rulers of Krakoa have been playing a dangerous game with a dangerous woman, and they are about to see how badly that can burn them. Mastermind of the X-Men, Jonathan Hickman, brings his plans to a head, joined by an incredible lineup of artists beginning with Valerio Schilti, as one woman follows through on her promise to burn the nation of Krakoa to the ground. Whatever you think, you can't deny that Jonathan Hickman really shook up the world of the mutants. Now, as he moves on from his post as head of X, it looks like he's planning to pull the rug from under us once again and transform the future for the X-Men. With the trial of Magneto being more than I expected, I'm utterly intrigued as to how this story will affect our merry band of mutants. And that's it for the pool list this week. But before I go, I'd just quickly like to introduce Matthew Rosenberg, who has a few words about a new book he's got coming soon. Hi there. My name is Matthew Rosenberg, and I write comic books such as Uncanny X-Men, The Punisher, New Mutants, Hawkeye Freefall, Grifter, the upcoming DC vs. Vampires, Task Force Z... I also wrote a book called We Can Never Go Home, and I wrote this book, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, and now I have a new book coming called What's the Furthest Place From Here, and it's coming out November 10th from Image Comics, and I'm here to tell you to listen to Geeky Brummy Podcast because they asked me to do it, and I do things like that when people ask me to. So do it. Check out What's the Furthest Place From Here November 10th. Enjoy your podcast. Thanks, Matthew. And if you have been listening to this uh, podcast for a while, you know that I was a big fan of Four Kids Walking the Double Bank. So I'm very much looking forward to that comic later on in the year. If you want to find out more about other great comics coming out, you can check out our On the Radar feature, which features on the website and Twitter every Wednesday. And you can buy your comic books from the wonderful Worlds Apart Birmingham on Small Book Queensway. And that's it for me for this week. And remember, as always, comics are for everyone. And now, back to the main show. And a three, a two, a one. Let's jump. Yes, Cowboy Bebop has been transferred from its anime slash manga history into a new live action show with John Cho, Mustafa Shakir, Daniela Pineda. Elena Satine and Alex Hassel, and I probably got all those names very badly pronounced wrong. <laughs> but anyway, it's coming to Netflix on November the 19th this year, and they recreated the opening credits of the anime. Um, we don't know if this is actually going to be the opening for the show. I'm hoping it's going to be the opening for the show, because they just put it up as a uh, 
generic trailer, but it's pretty much beat for beat the original anime opening of Tank. And Yoko Kano is back on for doing the music, and she did all the music for the anime back in 1998. So I have lots and lots of fond memories of this series when it was back on Adult Swim or Toonami as it was back in the day in the UK. Uh, Lee, Keith, your thoughts on Cowboy Bebop? It looks neat. I'm not, I don't know anything about the anime, so I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> That's my entire opinion. It does look good, though. So, right, so I'll, I'll go for a brief summary of the anime. So it's kind of a Japanese sci-fi, neo-noir kind of thing. So um, Spike Spiegel, who's being played by John Cho in the new series, he's a bounty hunter, and he plays that alongside his... Um, yeah. Get, get my words out. Jet Black, who's a former police officer who, who owns the Bebop, which is a big spaceship they work in. And then they're joined throughout the show by multiple characters like Faye Valentine, Edward, and uh, and a genetically en- enhanced Welsh Corgi called Iron, who is the best thing in the trailer. So basically, they're like, there's lots of history about his involvement in the Mafia before he became a bounty hunter. And like, a lot of episodes are revolving around them capturing or taking out a target. But it's kind of got a really nice space theme to it, and the soundtrack is the best soundtrack of all time. Sounds ridiculous. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get that right, Keith? I think I've kind of covered that. Off pretty, pretty much. Yeah, spoilers. yeah. Um, pretty much. Yeah. I, I think I watched it the same. Um, Toonami. Back in too far along ago, uh, when the when the live action one was announced, I was a little uh, hesitant, thinking, okay. How are you going to do this? Uh, then I saw some photographs, and it was like, okay, you're going for the style. And then this particular trailer was like, don't worry, we're just doing the anime in live action. Um, because this 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 trailer, if it's not the opening credits to the uh, show, I'm going to stop watching because this is what you sold me. Because <laughs> this is this is this is you know it's brilliant. It recreates the moments from the um, the, the original opening. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, just just. Because the the characters, the style of the characters in the original anime are stri- slightly over exaggerated. They've got very long legs and whatever it is, but somehow they've made the actors look lo- look that way. They they've done it in such a stylistic way that it, it's it's brilliant. I'm look and I've kind of gone from being a little bit ambivalent about it to yeah. oh my god, get this into my television tomorrow. Um, so it looks amazing. You can say people who followed the history of it because it's been tried to be made many, many times as a film, being discussed about it previously. Originally, it was supposed to be Keanu Reeves in the role of Spike, if I remember back in the day. It's something how he was really pushing for to get made. And a lot of people weren't sure about John Cho playing Spike Spiegel because Spike in the animes is about 23, 24, and then John Cho's a little bit older nowadays. Yeah, he's not, not as old as Keanu Reeves, I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> no. But, um, but I think he's a really good match for it. He looks the part. He looks he looks spot on. I mean, all of them mm-hmm. do. Strangely, I can't get over the fact that it's like they you look like the characters. You know, they've, they've yeah. done it in such a way that they that the people do look like who they're supposed to be. You'll know who they are um, mm-hmm. straight away if you're if you're a fan. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever and seen I'll... the animated movie that they did. Yeah, I think I love the little bits as well. So, like you see on screen at the moment, they've got the teddy bear bomber in there so if you watch the anime you're going to know who all these characters are they've not deviated very far from it by the look of it but it just seems like they're going with those kind of chapters of having one specific target for each kind of episode 
So don't I don't think this is going to be the full anime run of 26 episodes. This no. time I think they're doing like half of what they did from the anime series. I don't see Ed's appeared. At, Ed might drop in part way through the series, I suppose, but it seems to have done a really nice job on it. Yeah, it just looks very cool. I mean, the style's just amazing. It's 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 kind of Lee. Have we convinced you to give it a watch? It does look interesting. Like I did think the tra- trailer was really stylish, and I had no idea what was going on, but that was kind of intriguing. It's like I kind of feel like I need to watch this to know what's actually happening, and because I know it's based off an anime, yeah. um, all this ridiculous stuff that's happening is probably going to pay off because a lot of anime does that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I'm really, really hoping you'd watch the anime first to be honest mm-hmm. as well just to like get that kind of feel of it because mm-hmm. even though i said it's 1998 um i think it was sun rising was the production company back in the day it's it's aged a little bit in kind of comparison to modern animation but it's still really really good and i said the soundtrack by uh, yoko kamo who made the seatbelts who have done the opening theme so if you've heard the opening theme for this you'll know that kind of music straight away and that kind of feeling Mm-hmm. Uh, I really would recommend it. Mm-hmm. So coming out November the nineteenth on Netflix. Really, really do recommend it. And Keith, anything extra to add to that? No, I'm just looking forward to to watching it. Um, I think cause mm-hmm. if if they've gone to that effort to just entice me with that opening credits trailer, um, mm-hmm. they they must know they've they've got something right. Cool. Right, moving swiftly on to our next. One, it is The Wheel of Time. So I think I'm the only one who's listened to the audiobooks or watched anything of this previously. Um, so I'll explain this. So it's basically an epic, epic fantasy series written by a gentleman who's now along with us, unfortunately, called uh, Robert Jordan. And I think it's 13 novels plus a prequel novel that he wrote. And it's all like this high fantasy about a a kind of magical world where everything goes in a giant cycle and at the, this starts us off at the very end of the cycle and it's basically like the whole theme is everything comes in a cycle in this wheel of time and there is characters in it so there'll be a protagonist called Randall Thor uh, who's the main character and he slight spoilers here he is what's known as the dragon reborn so the dragon's like one of the major antagon- uh, protagonists of, of each cycle and then he goes up against like the dark guys it's it's like basically it's it's kind of like the first it's lord of the rings but over 13 books if i could explain it that way so it's kind of like that end of times but it's kind of like you get all the machinations you get all the politics behind it there's a a race of um witches in it called the Aes Sedai and they all have have an internal conflict basically there's like two streams of power in the world and only women can use magic safely and this person this character randall thor is the only male who can also use magic safely so it's kind of like it's a, it's got a lot of themes though like yin and yang and things like that into it so if you're expecting it to be a game of thrones direct replacement i'd probably put that to bed now this is proper proper high fantasy it's not just blood guts and boobs which is how everything else comes out in kind of fantasy nowadays it's kind of we've gone away from having that high fantasy lord of the rings to everything's got to be game of thrones now 
but I'm hoping this is going to veer back towards that proper high fantasy setting. Uh, Cast-wise, you've got Rosamund Pike, who is Moraine, so he's one of the major Aes Sedai in it. Uh, Josh Stradowski as Randall Thor, Marcus Rutherford as Perrin, Zoe Robbins as Nynaeve, uh, Barney Harris, who's Matt Cawthon, who's been replaced for the second series already by a guy called Donald Thin, which has got me some kind of worries there. Lots and lots of other British character actors, as you can probably see from the trailer. Um, are you guys up for some more high fantasy again? I tend to be really hit and miss with high fantasy stuff. Sometimes I really like it, sometimes I really don't. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot for, for it to, as a genre, to impress me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure how I feel about it. It looks like, again, from the trailer, it looks all right, but don't know if it's something that would hook me in or not so yeah yeah so it's due for release on november the 19th as well so two two big hitter series coming on that day strangely so mm-hmm. that's gonna be interesting it's already been renewed for its second season which you just mentioned and it's got amazon prime behind it so i'm assuming they've thrown a lot of money at this and i'm a big fan of the book series it's it is except basically like giant game of thrones and I'm probably going to get shouted out in the comments comments about this quite a lot. But um, it's a really, really nice high fantasy series. So if you've ever liked any kind of high fantasy books in the past, I can see this being a really good success. About yourself, Keith? Interested? Not interested? Um, I, I don't know, in all in all honesty. Um, I don't know the books at all. And I kind of have started to realise that I don't think I'm that big a fantasy guy. Somehow, I don't mind it. It's okay. Uh, uh, and you know, although I've read a lot of Pratchett stuff, that's that's fantasy in a slightly different way. It's not that mm. kind of Lord of the Rings esque style. The yeah. the trailer doesn't really give me anything that hooks me in immediately. Uh, that makes me think this is unmissable television. Um, so I I might give it a go. But I think it's going to be one of those ones that if I don't get if I don't get into it, I'm probably not going to stick around for long. Yeah. I, I unlike others, I wasn't a big fan of Game of Thrones. I kind of gave it a bit of I got kind of slogged through the first season of that, yeah. determined to go. Everybody loves this. It must be me. And then I kind of mm-hmm. did about two or three episodes of the second season and just went, "This is just dreadfully boring," and I'm out. Um, yeah. So. I think I'll give it a go. If it bores me, I shall probably continue watching Cowboy Bebop instead. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think like I think like Keith, I'm not much of a fantasy guy in general. I think like when it mm. comes to fantasy stuff, I tend to veer more towards like urban fantasy or fairy tale style fantasy. Those are the ones that I tend to get into a lot more. But so like all your big kind of Lord of the Rings type fantasy tends to kind of be like it's it's yeah it's it's all right but doesn't mm. really grab me sort of thing. Yeah. i mean suppose the best kind of comparison i could make is something like the expanse in mm. the sci-fi setting to wheel of time in kind of the fantasy setting so it's good it's it's a gigantic fantasy opera rather than space opera so it's got lots and lots of moving parts and it's one of those i think if you bed into the story i think it becomes very interesting but if you're one of those, as I said, like that, the whole 
Jade of Lord Tolkien, where it's kind of hard to get that mo momentum into it. I think yeah. that you might struggle. So it'd be interesting to see how they've done this series because the book does take quite a few chapters to get going in the first novel. So I'll be interesting to see how it does go. Yeah, I think so, it, I think the danger it runs is if it's a bit too serious and a bit too po-faced, and then <laughs> I might be checked out because I do. Um, Netflix had a show, The Legend uh, of Monkey, which was kind of mm -hmm. a, a New Zealand uh, show, which was which was you know fantasy of a of a yeah. type, but I enjoyed that because it was very light-footed and although it had like some dark themes and other bits and pieces, it was mm -hmm. just very nicely put together and I kind of you know. Is is that yet another journey to the West adaptation? Yeah, it's basically just another journey to the West yeah. adaptation, but with a with a antipodean um, slant, which I kind of mm. kind of like. That whole I, I do kind of like. Strangely, I would say a, a lot of the fantasy shows I watch do tend to come from Australian and New Zealand studios. They kind of do some interesting things with there because it's not yeah. it's not kind of Western po facedness. Which I mean, I mean, I mean, in New, Ze New Zealand is basically Middle Earth, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they've blatantly taken that even from us here in the Midlands because this is where it was all set around. But this is where the Shire is. Yeah, but they didn't film it here. <laughs> well, they okay. couldn't really film it here because Birmingham's here now instead. <laughs> could you could you imagine the the Birmingham version of Lord of the Rings? Let's we're off to Mordor. Well, it'd be more um, accurate yeah. than going up to Black. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we we can't go that way. It's it's blocked off. Uh, we're gonna have to take yeah. the detour around. Oh, they put more scaffolding up. <laughs> I mean, Mordor as Dudley kind of does work, yeah. probably. I but, think uh, that is what they. I think that is what Tolkien did. I think it was like the Black Country and the mines and stuff. I think that's yeah. what that for. Yeah, sorry, Mordor's <laughs> closed off for the next eight weeks due to uh, roadworks. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That is one thing that did annoy me when I heard a Dorset accent come out of the mouth of the hobbits. It's like they're from Birmingham. <laughs> from Birmingham. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll give Wheel of Time a try. Um, yeah. But you know, I, it's not something I'll go out of my way to watch, especially when yeah, there's I'd... so many other things to to be to be watching. Yeah, I'd say persevere for two or three episodes, and if you're not feeling the vibe, then yeah. Okay, move on. Mm -hmm. No worries on that one. So coming up onto our next show, which is Why the Last Man, which is the letter Y, not me going Why. <laughs> why the Last, the last Man? man? <laughs> so Keith, I'm going to let you explain this one because you read the comic book and you're probably a much better place for me to. Uh, yeah. In in basic terms, uh, the the premise of the story is that a, a, a catastrophic event happens across the world where ev every living thing with a Y chromosome dies, uh, apart from a couple of people. Uh, one with, who's the lead character in this is is Yorick, uh, and there's also a, a capuchin, capuchin monkey, I believe, uh, called Ampersand. Um, so basically, the the the, sto the story is 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 um, Yorick's but becomes the story of all the other women um, that, that are around in the world. And it, and the comic um, is written by a, a guy called Brian K. Vaughan, who, who's gone on to do a lot of interesting things, things like uh, Paper Girls and other stuff. Uh, and I really liked the comic at the time. It, it was one of those kind of long uh, stories that took a long time. So things, things like uh, yeah. Walking Dead and Saga have kind of done a similar thing. Uh, so I think it ran for about six years, didn't it? I think... So. I think can't remember 70 or 80 issues it was quite a long time um mm -hmm. and it, and i think what they've done with the tv show is they've taken some of the kind of 
more problematic elements that, that, that were part of the time um, when, the, when the book was being done and kind of fixed all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, from what I've seen, it looks like it was going to be a, a fairly faithful adaptation in theme, uh, if not directly from the, from the pages. And, and they made tweaks here and there uh, as befits a show that's coming out in 2021. Um, but I have I have high expectations for this. I know it started a, a couple last week. It's, yeah, they dropped three started. episodes, uh, but I haven't yeah. got around to it yet. And it's like I kind of want to I want to carve time to watch it properly rather than just kind so, of like I'm, I'm going to watch it. I do want to kind of take it all in. And um, so for those of us in the me. UK, it's Disney Plus for the US audience. It is FX on Hulu. Yeah. So and that kind of weird balance because we would have had FX over here in the UK where that's disappeared now. Disney's taken it on and yeah. just it on to Star as they name their yeah. online service. Um, and I've seen I've seen a few people who have kind of you know said it's it's a a, a fairly decent adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it'd just be interesting to see how how they where they deviate from the from the original. Um, yeah, it looks pretty. I mean, it looks like it. Looks like a solid cast. You got Diane Lane, Ashley Romans, uh, Ben Schneitzer, Olivia Thelby, who played Anderson in the Dread movie, which yeah. is criminal that that didn't have a sequel. Uh, Amber Tamblin. So it looks like a pretty solid cast that they have got together for this one. And I'm just glad it's not your standard post-apocalyptic zombie show for a change. It's more of a actual apocalypse for a different reason for a change. Yeah. Well, it's it's what would happen if society broke down with a catastrophic event that you know you have to deal with people who are people, and right. it's it's that interesting thing, you know what the what the title of the Walking Dead riffs on. It's like you know it's the the real villains aren't the monsters, it's the people. Um, mm-hmm. I think why kind of discusses, and I think in a strange way it's even more relevant now than when it was first published. Um, because of what's going on in the world and gender equality. And also, I think one of the things that they're kind of bringing a bit more into the uh, the TV show is aspects about gender fluidity and non-binariness and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's, it's basically down to like the, the Y chromosome. That's the, that's the thing that wipes people out. So you know, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how they address things like that. But yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was my kind of main thought watching that trailer was just like, but what about trans people? How do they fit into this? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't really say like anymore that like oh well, all the men have died. Cause it's like well, trans yeah. men probably haven't. <laughs> well, it, it's yeah. yeah, it's that literally anything with a Y chromosome. Yeah, um, mm. and that's that's the premise. So that opens yeah. up a lot of interesting storytelling avenues uh, in in modern times. Mm-hmm. Lee, how about yourself? Is this drawn you in? I mean, I, I think watching it, I thought it's an interesting premise, but I don't know if I'd be able to put up with it for the whole for a whole series. There's just some something about the trailer just really kind of put me off. I don't know what it is. By the end of it, I was just kind of like, mm, mm. I don't know what I I genuinely cannot articulate what it is, but something about the trailer just kind of made me just a little like, I'm not going to watch this. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if you read the comic book, then it's probably definitely worth a watch. Mm-hmm. And if you are having hunger pains for Walking Dead or something similar, maybe this is like your new post-apocalyptic show and that's what they're aiming it towards. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I might give it a few episodes just because I've got Disney Plus on it. But... 
I think I think the, the thing with the, with the comics was it wasn't the situation; it was the relationships between the characters that, mm-hmm. that won you over. That's why you were watching because you were invested in these people, however damaged and fallible they were. There were certain things about um, you know Yorick and Hero and um, and the other cast of the characters. Um, was it Agent? I can't remember a number. Three five five. Um, uh, I'll so, just close the page about it. So. <laughs> can't yeah. tell you. I know it's Agent three hundred and something, and I can't remember. It's been yeah. a while since I read the comic, and I should probably go back and reread it. Um, but it's that that interplay between these characters and the and the and relationships and what happens to people when the world changes in such a way, and and you have to reevaluate your relationships with the people around you. Um, so it's kind of it's, mm. it's, it's a it's, yeah, it's it's what it's, you know. It's like it's like Jaws isn't a film about a shark. It's it, yeah. Warwick isn't you know the, why the last man isn't a film about a apocalyptic world. It's about the people, um, and, yeah. and I think that's what that that's what Brian K. Vaughan did so well with the comic is the the investment in the characters. Um, so let's just hope it lives up to the uh, same yeah. kind of mm-hmm. level. Yeah, it's a comic. It's a comic I, I really I really loved. Mm-hmm. Right, and the final one, which is a another comic-based <laughs> TV series. You'd, you'd think there was more things for people to uh, write stories about. All right, we've had an anime adapt, uh, an, a manga slash anime adaptation, a book series adaptation, and two comic book adaptations. Yeah, it's kind of like TV's running out of original programming, <laughs> isn't it? But uh, so our last show is the Sandman. So this is Neil Gaiman's. Uh, masterwork series for dc comics um it's, it's kind of his magnum opus in the comic book world yeah and is still having a ripple effect to this day as keith covers off quite a lot with the sandman universe comics in his comic roundups yeah. but, um absolutely amazing cast this one so you've got tom sturridge gwendolyn christie boyd holbrook charles dance asim chowdhury sanji baskar jenna coleman jody richardson stephen fry Patton oswald I think that's enough out of the cast for now. Um, so um, David S. Goyer is exec producing, which did kind of give me a bit of a uh-oh <laughs> vibe to it. Yeah. But Neil Gaiman is also on as an exec producer, and I'm sure he's tightening up writing credits as well. So I'm hoping it's Neil Gaiman's comic book vision brought to life. And Keith, you're a big fan of the comic. Do you want to... <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't kind of uh, condense the comic, the series into a, a sound yeah. bite. Um, but yeah, um, the and the premise of this is immortal beings. So you got death. Yeah, the, San, the Sandman is a member yeah. of a, a group, a group of family that include desire, uh, destruction, mm. um, dream, death. They all begin with D for, for some yeah. unknown reason. And the, the as you see in the trailer, Charles Dance's character uh, tries to capture death, but unfortunately he ends up with somebody else, um, <laughs> which is uh, Morpheus, uh, or Dream, as he's known in the comics. Um, and I, I really what I liked about this trailer was the fact that it very heavily leaned on the imagery from that first book the, the, <laughs> the, that uh, artist Sam Keith um, did, did the kind of first arc of, of stories. Uh, and what I would like that Sandman does is that there are kind of the Sandman is your guide mm-hmm. almost through through these tales. And the, the the beauty of the comic book was there were often um, side issues that just dealt with 
completely <clears throat> different things um, as well as kind of the overarching um, story for each kind of arc of about six or eight issues depending some shorter and you have characters <clears throat> like the Corinthian and and um, the this this um, Santa killers and and other other people that come in and out of the, the stories as they, as time goes on um, so I hope they're going to keep a little bit of that kind of anthology style i'd like mm -hmm. i don't know how they could do it but i'd like to see something reflect the change in art styles that sandman had as a book um yeah. because you'd have you know jill thompson would draw some issues and then somebody like charles fess would it would illustrate the more kind of fairy tale um stories mm -hmm. um which was which was part of the appeal of the book is that the art would reflect the the style of story that that neil was writing um i was gonna say because the artworks always really stood out to me because it's so far away from a standard comic book style as you said it's got that real kind of like a lot of the issues have that real kind of fairy tale yeah. really light touch really airy kind of art style to them yeah and then you'll have something completely different for next run of shoes yeah i mean you could have something that was very very dark and very very grim and very very horrible um happening mm -hmm. in it as well um yeah, but it, it's it's the comic is is one of those ones that I come back to time and time again because there's just something about it that just kind of I think at the time of reading um, was just something that connected to that kind of like you know late teens period that I was in. There was just something about that the the way Neil wrote these characters that you could just kind of hooked into. And you know some people mm -hmm. kind of go oh it's a bit goth and a bit kind of you know whatever it is, but it it does address a lot of. Um, the issues of being human but seen through yeah. the eyes of these immortal beings who have to deal with the fact that like you know good grief you know because it's as I say the sandman as itself seems to have a big resurgence of it we've got the new series of comics to in the sandman universe yeah. i mean i've been really enjoying the audio drama so the latest book released on audible i think the last couple of weeks ago and then last year there was the first series with a really, again, standout cast, James McAvoy, Kat Dennings, Taron Egerton, Michael Sheen, Riz Ahmed, Andy Serkis, Arthur Darville. So a really strong cast. And then they've just released, the, as I said, the second book as such. And then you've had people like Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cox, John Lithgow, Bill Nye join. Yeah. So it's a really interesting, different version to hear it in an audible version versus the comic version versus the TV version. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like I'd like the TV version to play with the style a little bit, kind of make it um, kind of interesting. You know, I wouldn't be adverse to yeah. like one episode being animated when they do the 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 story about the cats. If they did if they just adapt that particular issue. Uh, Apparently, they're doing preludes and nocturnes and the doll's house for the first two series. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's, it's kind of going in order. Um, yeah, for the for the books. Yeah. But, yeah. but they've moved it from 1989 to now, so it's been in prison slightly longer. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and Lee, are you a fan of the Sandman? Have you enjoyed Sand his works? As is like probably a theme with all these trailers. <laughs> it's a it's a thing that I'm aware of, but have never actually like ex experienced from firsthand. Like. I know tons of people who rave about the Sandman and it's been one of those things where I'm just like, I probably should read that at some point, you know, because so many people tell me it's brilliant, but I just never get around to it. Um, but, you know, it does, it does sound good and the trailer looked interesting, but again, it's, it's one of those things that because the Sandman, the comic has been 
on my to-do list for years and I still have never gotten around to it. I imagine the series might go the same way. Mm-hmm. Keith, was there any kind of standout runs that you'd say are essential reading? Or yeah, just all of it. Just, just read the whole thing. Um, Fair. It, it is... I, I, and I, I, I've, I kind of... Um, we read it for the Brum graphic novel group a while back and I think it's one of those books that suffers... Uh, being read later uh, on because so much so much more has come since so mm. at times it, Sandman now could feel a little derivative because you've had so much stuff that's been influenced by it since um, and I think I was I was just lucky enough to read it at the time and was deeply affected by it um, mm-hmm. you know in a, in a way that's a little bit un, un, inexplicable really it's like well, why particularly did that book um have such a big effect and uh, and i just think it was just the, the way neil wrote the characters and how um you know there was a genuine hu- humanity to it all you know the, the way mm. death is portrayed and how morpheus feels about this whole situation um mm-hmm. of, of being part of the endless and like how some of the other endless have like had enough and it's like we can't deal with this and i think that and hellblazer at the time when I was reading those books, just books that just seemed to be transcendent of, of what mm-hmm. comics had been up to that time. And Alan Moore had dabbled in kind of books that were a little bit like that, but there was just something about yeah. the kind of Jamie, Jamie Delano and the, the Neil Gaiman stuff that was happening with these darker mm-hmm. edged. I mean, they, I think uh, some particularly started as a DC book and then kind of mit- migrated to become a vertigo book. And everybody thinks of it as being a vertigo book, but I think it, it started off as a, just a regular DC comic and then became the kind of flagship of um, vertigo um, mm-hmm. but i think if they kind of stick quite close to the the, the essence of it unlike american yeah. gods which i didn't particularly feel yeah, captured say, the because this is the third big game and adaptation we've seen on screen recently yeah. so we've had american gods and the good omens one which the yeah. good omens one i think nailed very well i was much happier with um Good omens. Yeah. Yeah. And American Gods, I just felt like it could have been wrapped up. Yeah. Half, half, in half the length. Yeah. And it wouldn't have lost any impact for that. Yeah. But I think visually, this trailer has made me think okay, you're not shying away from from what the, the comics were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've high, I've high hopes for it. Um, yeah. I'll be okay. utterly disappointed if it somehow drops the ball. I mean, launching your trailer with Charles Dance. It, it's usually a surefire winner, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> if if you want a British aristocrat's voice, Charles Dance is yeah. pretty much your first point in the game. I mean, I, I was always upset that he was never death enough in the Terry Pratchett series of books. Yeah. I mean, he's just got the perfect voice. Uh, well, how did Terry Pratchett describe death's voice? It was like Granville slabs clacking together yeah. or something like that. Granite slabs. Yeah. yeah, I want. I think what I'm interested in 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 Sandman particularly is the music, mm-hmm. um, because that is going to be something that will make well, or break that series. Uh, as I said, they've moved it to now, so I'm yeah. assuming a more modern kind of soundtrack. Unfortunately, yeah. It'd so be, we'll be, see yeah. how it goes because, yeah. well, it it depends on which time series, isn't it? We've got lots of time to work with lots of lots of time i'll have to look up and see if it's a composer um that's doing it 
I should, I should look that up later. I should, I, I'm trying not to kind of like spoil it by having any sense of what else is going on. So it's like, yeah, I saw, yeah. The, saw the cast announcement. That was cool. And then saw this trailer. That's cool. It's like, I kind of want to go into the series a little bit cold as mm-hmm. well. Not that I don't know the story, but you know. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, do you think you're going to give it a watch? I might do. I said, um, it's the, the comics kind of been on my radar and it's one thing that I do feel I need to read at some point and the same will go for the show. So mm-hmm. just, I mean, do, just doing both at the same time. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> just sit with the comic while I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. You can have the comic in your lap with the yeah. audible version in one ear, <laughs> and one eyeball on the TV screen and see if you can keep track. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's definitely one on my watch list and yeah, um, I have big hopes for it. So fingers crossed, it'll keep the kind of level that we hope. Uh, so to recap our TV trailers, so we had Cowboy Bebop coming to Netflix on the 19th of November. We have The Wheel of Time coming to Amazon Prime on the 19th of November. We have Why the Last Man, which is here on Disney Plus in the UK and FX on Hulu in the States out now. And we have the Sandman, which is unspecified future release, but knowing Netflix, I'm assuming it probably is going to be around Christmas. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, that's some, that's some really nice holiday viewing, holiday cheer, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm assuming there will be times soon. But uh, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week for the past few weeks. Eastwood is an adorable little game about two characters trying to survive a world in decline. Think a top-down RPG version of The Last of Us designed by Studio Ghibli and you're kind of there. Switching between John, a miner who's lived underground for 40 years, and Sam, a young psychic girl he found in a tank underground, Eastwood encourages players to explore the world with a magical train, hopping from settlement to settlement trying to find safe haven. This game's been on my radar for a while and it's awesome to see it finally released as it's art design is beautiful and the world looks like a fascinating place to explore. And then there was Deathloop, the latest game from Dishonored and Prey developers Arcane Studios. Deathloop is set on an island caught in a time loop and populated by a hedonistic group of people who live their lives without consequences, safe in the knowledge the day will be reset at midnight. One man, Colt, disagrees with this and sets out to end the loop once and for all, which will require using his 24 hours to take out the 8 visionaries who possess devices that allow the loop to continue. A big, bold FPS presented in stylish 60s grindhouse style visuals, Deathloop looks like a lot of fun with the same kind of imaginative level design and power options for the player that Arcane has become known for. Definitely want to get my hands on this at some point. Next up is Kina Bridge of Spirits, the debut game of animation studio Emberlab, setting it to be a Zelda-style adventure of discovery. You play as Kina, a shaman whose job is to send spirits on their final journey and to heal the lands their presence infects. You are accompanied on your journey by spirits of the rot who aid her in her efforts. As you'd expect from an animation studio, this game looks absolutely stunning, with vibrant animation that looks like it's ripped straight from a Pixar movie. 
The Rot who assist you are adorable too, with massive eyes and a full selection of custom hats for them to wear. I've played a bit of this so far and it's been nothing but pure joy. And finally we have Lost Judgment, the sequel to 2019's Judgment itself a spin-off of Sega's Yakuza franchise. Detective Takayuki Yagami is back for another case, this time concerning a revenge case with suspicious circumstances. I loved the first Judgment, which brought together my love of Yakuza and my love of detective stories, so this surprise sequel is absolutely on my radar. Expect more intrigue and twists with a side dose of Yakuza-style silliness, and now with a tiny dog sidekick. What more could you want? Eastward is available for PC and Switch. Deathloop is available for PC and PlayStation 5. Kena Bridge of Spirits is available for PC and PlayStation. And Lost Judgment is available for PlayStation and Xbox. And now, back to the main show. So, there was a Nintendo Direct recently that uh, made a few announcements of various things coming to the Switch, but also Shigeru Miyamoto showed up and announced the cast next year's Super Mario Brothers movie and um, it's uh, it's interesting so uh, let me uh, I'm just going to quickly run through some of these these voices Mario is going to be played by Chris Pratt <laughs> uh, Peach is going to be Anya Taylor-Joy Luigi is being played by Charlie Day Bowser is being played by Jack Black Toad is being played by Keegan-Michael Key Donkey Kong is Seth Rogen uh, Kamek, Kevin Michael Richardson, Cranky Kong, Fred Armisen, and Spike is Sebastian Maniscal Maniscalco? I don't know. I butchered that name. Um, with Charles Martinet, the original voice of Mario, as uh, cameo roles of sorts. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a bizarre cast that... Uh, what do you guys think of this, these casting decisions? So... When I heard the Sonic movie cast, because I think I'll start mm -hmm. there, when I heard the Sonic movie and probably the Detective Pikachu movie casting of Ryan Reynolds, I thought that's a bit of stunt casting. Mm -hmm. And then when you've got John Ralphio, it's a Sonic! <laughs> but, but yeah, I was quite surprised. But considering the poster they released for the Sonic 2 movie was just Knuckles' fist, and they didn't highlight the voice cast or anything and it was just purely it's a sonic movie you know what's coming in stark contrast to this kind of here's a giant list of names yeah but we here's do know who's playing to... knuckles though that's the thing yeah true <laughs> but here's a giant list of names and nothing about the film itself <laughs> nothing about the premise just that there's going to be illuminations involved who've made the despicable me movies and other assorted detritus of the, of the cinema screen, <laughs> the Lorax, Secret Life of Pets. They are responsible for the minions. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yes, and I, I really hope they don't put the minions in Mario. I really. The rabbits was enough. That was enough <laughs> of a push, and surprisingly, it worked well. We don't need the minion yeah. children in a Mario movie. But even with stunt casting, which I hate because it's. It, you need VAs for an animated film, and I don't know how how Hollywood does doesn't seem to get this, and how Nintendo haven't seemed to have got this. Putting in famous people to play voices just means all you get is the famous person's voice. You yep. don't get voice acting. 
that's the sure. thing. Like as someone who follows a lot of voice actors, I much would much prefer to see voice actors than big Hollywood actors because voice actors can put themselves like they generally do better voice performances. Voice voice acting and physical acting are two separate things. So mm-hmm. you kind of need people who are good at voice acting to be voice yeah. actors. Yeah. And it always gets me like video games when you see like names pop up. So perfect example from a couple of years ago is Kojima's Baby Walking Simulator, which yeah, again it, that was just casting for casting's sake. And it, it adds it added nothing to have all the famous faces in it. Like Norman Reedus isn't a particularly compelling character to the point where I can't remember his actual character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Guillermo del Toro's designed to be behind the director's chair. He doesn't need yeah. hol- a hologram of himself. But the thing that's ridiculous about that is that it's also not his voice. It's just his face. Mm-hmm. Which is also like the case for a bunch of the people, the other sort of celebrity friends that Kojima has. He used their face and not their voice. And he brought in actual voice actors. So you've got Jeff Keighley's face, but it's Matt Mercer's voice coming out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and but, it's uh, like, he... okay. I, I can compromise a little bit with that because he's actually seen the need for proper mm-hmm. voice acting. But then you could have just thrown anybody. You could throw Matt Mercer's face in it. Nobody would have complained. Yeah. Yeah. And they, people, people like Matt Mercer's face. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, Bob Hoskins was not a fan of the 1993 movie. I think <laughs> everybody is quite aware of his strong emotional response. Uh, to I, that interview is one of the best things I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's, what's one of your greatest regrets in life, Super Mario Brothers? Mario Brothers. <laughs> what one thing would you not do again if you had a chance to Super Mario Brothers? Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> and then you've got John Leguizamo and um, what's his face? Dennis the Hopper. guy from Dennis Hopper. Yeah, the guy from Easy Rider <laughs> as Cooper. And it, it was kind of like an absolute trailer wreck of a film mm-hmm. from start to finish if from the trailer to the end credits it was never going to go well and so animated gives me some hope yeah i think the characters are going to look like they should they're not i believe they're not making any real difference to that miyamoto is involved mm. then yeah. i can't see him being like accepting of any physical changes to his characters so mm-hmm. But that voice cast, I don't understand it. Yeah, it gives me deep concern. Keith? It's it's an interesting way they've approached it by an, by kind of announcing the voice cast first without giving us any kind of indication of what the anime style will be like, whether it will be kind of a, a Minions-style animation. But also as well, what's kind of slightly in its favour is both Chris Pratt and Charlie Day have already got form in this genre, having done voices for characters in the Lego movies. Uh, which, if it veers more towards that, I'm going to be slightly happier because it's it wasn't about the celebrity voice too much in those films. And they're full of celebrities, even the Lego Batman movies, full of celebrity voices. But there's enough charm and character in those films that you kind of forget 
that these are celebrity voices. But it's, You're it's not listening to their own voices as celebrities. I, I'd go against that because it was still Chris Pratt in the Lego movie to me. That's all I could hear is <laughs> well, Chris that, Pratt. That, that's, that's kind of what I was going to say with, with, um, with the Lego movie as an example is that I don't actually remember anything particularly stand out about his character in the Lego movie. There was nothing really like that stood out about his performance. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that kind of actually works against it for me. I suppose if the game with the angle of Mr. Mario in every video game under the sun is is default. Average strength, average height, average build, average weight, average thing. So if you ever played Mario Kart or Mario Party or Smash Brothers, Mario is always the default character of if there's four bars, it'll be slap bang in the center and everybody else will be a derivative of, oh, they'll be faster than Mario, but heavier or slower or quicker. So if they're going for that everyman kind of Mario, maybe. Yeah, but can Chris Pratt do an Italian accent? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. would, would you do? I think the other big thing that's going against it, in, in, a, in a way that Sonic didn't have to deal with, is that if they're not pulling these characters into the real world, they ain't chatty characters in their own games. You know, the, the Mario games are not renowned for their, you know, dialogue trees. Um, you know, that it's not a Bioware game. So what on earth are they going to say? So slightly more worrying is it's, what on earth are they going to talk about? It makes me think of, because you've got the Mario RPGs where the characters are a lot more chatty, but even then, yeah. usually Mario is silent. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like the Mario and Luigi 3DS series, which you can never remember what it was called, but those were kind of like a spin-off of the RPG series. Yeah, you've got the Again. Mario and Luigi games, you've got Super Mario RPG, you've got Paper Mario. Yeah. You know. But again, Mario's always the quietest character out of the lot because yeah. in those games they're all about Luigi. Luigi pretty much talks the entire game through and he's your voice all the way through it because you're too busy being Mario in those games to do anything. Mm -hmm. You're doing the work. Why, why hasn't John Leguizamo been given a cameo in there somewhere? It's like you know that because he's pretty, he's a decent voice. He's got an interesting voice of, mm. of a lot of the people that they've they've cast. At least his voice stands out. As, yeah. as a thing, um, I just, I just don't understand. I mean, we talked about this in our chat group, and I just basically reshuffled the crap cast that they had originally, and put it together in kind of like a. I think this is more sensible. So I'm going to pull up the image that I dropped in. Actually, <laughs> I won't put it in. The, I won't put it in here. But <laughs> the, the, my recasting. So it's the same same casting. Uh, Anna Taylor Joy doesn't move for some strange reason, but <laughs> because there weren't Jack any Black. other female cast members. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know Toad's sexuality. Well, we know there's a Toad there, but uh, Jack Black as Mario, instant fix. Jack Black as anyone is an instant fix. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think Jack Black's a do great Peach. as Mario. Yeah, uh, Luigi Keegan Michael Key. He was the foil in um, kind of key and peel stand-up i think he'd suit that role very well uh toad charlie day perfect casting i think out of, out of what we're working with um seth rogan as bowser i think the voice would suit a lot better for that rather mm -hmm. than him being donkey kong and then chris pratt can be donkey kong because <laughs> then he's still got a job but even then with the cast that you have i think there's much better picks for who's supposed to be where mm -hmm. Like I think the only bit of that casting that I'm okay with is Jack Black. 
because I'm just imagining bears are in full tenacious D mode and I'm okay with this. <laughs> Plus Jack Black has actually done quite a lot of voice work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's done the Brutal Legend. Was it Brutal Legend? Yeah. He did Brutal yeah. Legend, and as yeah. ever since, he's in every single Double Fine game because he's become yeah. best friends with Tim Schafer. <laughs> he, yeah. was, he was in Psychonauts 2, so, you know. I mean, I think if I cast my mind back a very, very long time ago, I think they did, like, a Tenacious D comedy series at some point. Yeah, like, there was a film. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, what game is it they're going to be adapting? Is it going to be the original Super Mario Brothers? Is it going to be Super Mario Sunshine? You know, what, oh, sto- is, what story are they going to tell? You know it's going to be just some, like, generic thing, you know, where, mm. where it's just set in the world and has nothing to do with the actual games. My big worry is they're just going to do Wreck-It Ralph with it <laughs> and just, like, yeah. have a greatest hits of Mario over the time. Yeah, but Oh, here's a Wreck- reference to the Sunshine star from Super Mario Sunshine. But at least, at least with Wreck-It Ralph, they got the actual voice of Sonic. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe this is a way we could get around the voice casting every time. Is that what it is? Is actually it's a celebrity gaming party Chris Pratt's holding in his Hollywood house with Charlie J, Jack Black, Anna Taylor Joy, and all the rest of them. And a bit like Jumanji, they get sucked okay. into the video game, and so therefore have to like voice the voice the characters. And that's how they meet Charlie Martinez later on. Is like you know somehow he's like they, he's they get to a level. And he's like, hang on, how, why are you voicing Mario? This this is my job. You lot get out of the game. So like, that could be it's that could be like the premise. Alan Parrish in, yeah, it's going to be like Alan, Alan Parrish and Jumanji. I've been stuck in here for forty years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that would make sense. They they get sucked into the video game, and that's that's that is what it is. And they've got to escape uh, the video yeah. game because we don't don't know we don't know anything about the story or anything yet. Uh, so like, what you're saying is Chris Pratt talks for ten minutes at the start, and yeah. then has no dialogue for the rest of the movie. Yeah, that'd be that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be like a real troll move, yeah. just to like get people in. It's like, oh, Chris Pratt's in this movie, and then ten minutes in, he just leaves. <laughs> just gets speech bubbles with dot 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 written over his head for the rest of the film. Yeah, poor the poor yeah. man. I also just find this was a weird place to announce it, like right in the middle of a Nintendo Direct, because. Yeah. Like the Nintendo Direct audience is going to be there because it's a Mario movie and not because of the big Hollywood names. Yeah, I think the problem is for any entertainment company now, they feel they need to be multimedia. So <laughs> we've we've had it with Sega and dipping their toe into the movie world. I mean, and the Sonic movie did much better than expected. Um, we've had the Pokemon. Detective Pikachu movie, which is Nintendo's first dip with the Pokemon company into moving into that kind of media after a after a very long breakaway. And then I suppose if this is successful, we can look at a Zelda movie yeah. or but, Pilot and, Wings or any of the other franchises. But, but I think on that though, like why announce it in the direct though? Because Nintendo haven't um always announced things in directs. So, like, mm. usually if it's something like Ring Fit Adventure or the brain yeah. training game they re- released recently for the Switch, both of those things got announced just separately and got a lot of TV ads instead. They didn't promote it to, like, their core audience, which is the people who are watching the Direct. And I, feel I like, think it's probably like, we spent yeah. so much money on this, please, God, go and see it, because <laughs> we need to make some of that cash back. The DS um, money start to, the DS money pots finally starting to run dry. No, but the Switch is, is the new DS though. That's the problem. It is bringing in a lot of money for Nintendo. <laughs> I would have thought as well, given the time that the the timeline that these films usually take to produce, 
I'm, I was, I'm thinking, surely they've already recorded all their dialogue uh, mm. at, at the moment, unless they're just coming in to redub it um, at a mm. later point, and it's it's been done in a, a in a non-English language to start with. It's going to say I'd be interested to see if it was revoiced for the Japan market. Mm. There was there was a note in the direct that next to Miyamoto when he announced it, basically saying actors for the English release. So mm-hmm. we are going to see like I was going to say because if there's any land of VAs, it is Japan. Mm. That, that's where most people get their work from the VA industry is Japan in the video games industry. But um, I don't know. It just feels like this is already possibly a car crash before a single frame has been put on screen. Yeah. But yeah. we all thought that about Sonic the Hedgehog, to be honest, when they did the, when they did the trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog and they kind of pulled that out of the fire. And I'm, I must admit, I wasn't, I didn't, think i would want to watch or would enjoy sonic the hedgehog but i did i quite i quite it was all right it was quite a fun movie it was no detective pikachu which was a work of unmitigated genius Um, but it's but like it's interesting obviously with sonic 2 getting announced and they announced you know very famous actor playing knuckles and how that had the exact opposite reaction to the chris pratt as mario like everyone's on board with idris elba as knuckles it's just like Everyone's just like, yes, this casting is brilliant. Yeah. But everybody's on board with Idris Elba is... anyway, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like... I think the problem is it's it's not having just Chris Pratt. I think yeah. if they just said just it's Chris Pratt as Mario and moved mm. on, people would be like, mm, odd choice, but there's lots to yeah. work with. It's Chris Pratt, Anna Taylor-Joy, Keegan-Michael Key, Charlie Day, and it's like the full... They've just gone, we've just scatter shot around Hollywood and pick some yeah. people who are kind of famous at the minute. The fact yeah. that like people were putting together memes within like seconds of this announcement, you know, you had like I've seen pictures of of Chris Pratt in Jurassic World, but they've replaced all the Raptors with Yoshi. Um, yeah. I've seen like someone doing like Luigi with the with the conspiracy board from Always Sunny, and yeah. you know just. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah. fact that all that was the immediate reaction was people mocking it kind of <laughs> suggests that maybe this wasn't the best cast to go with. It, it feels to me this is a very corporate cast that Nintendo mm. have got a list of 10 yeah. or 20 people which they want to appear in the Mario film because they've looked at their IMDB ranking or they've done like some some surveys where they just grabbed random people off the street and say, would you watch a film with Chris Pratt? I, I don't believe it's Nintendo's decision. I believe it's like it's illumination. It'll be the studios, yeah. yeah. It's the Hollywood. Yeah. It's a Hollywood thing. It, this is very Hollywood exec. Like I think. Yeah, it feels driven by committee. This does, and yeah. they've gone for lots of safe, bankable stars mm-hmm. who are in their ascendancy or you know, or if it, have an audience. If it was like Nintendo's decision, we'd probably see more celebrity voices in Nintendo games, but we don't. In yeah. fact, more often than not, a lot of the actors in Nintendo games are generally unknowns. Yeah. yeah. Like the most famous voice I can think of in any Nintendo game is Jenna Coleman in Xenoblade, but that was before Doctor Who. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll be more. I'll be more interested when I see what the animation style is going to be like, because mm. I'm just thinking if it's not the look of the games. I think it will be just from like the way they're talking about it, and I don't know. It's Illumination Studios, and they have a very distinct style. 
Yeah. So if they're putting their style over the top of what is to be Mario mm. movies, yeah. so if you look at stuff like Secret Life of Pets, Despicable Me, even the Lorax, which you'd think it would have a Dr. Seuss style to it, they've got a very, very distinctive animation style, I similar think, to Pixar. I get that, but I think this is also Nintendo, and they're very protective of Mario, and... Okay, they're casting Chris Pratt, but like that might have been the compromise. It's like we want things to look exactly like the games. I could see, especially with Miyamoto being directly involved. Yeah, yeah true. You know. <laughs> or have they just gone? You, you know that original Super Mario Brothers movie? Just, just not that. You can do anything, <laughs> just, just not that. But then that I, I kind fun. of, I kind of dug the uh, the original uh, Super Mario Brothers movie because it was released at a time when there was things like Tank Girl and stuff where it just went this bears no relationship to the origin but it's just so weird and strange that yeah, I kind of like that, it it was that wild west of video game movies where they were all just universally terrible and had nothing to do with the, the games themselves like Street Fighter and all that around the same time I'm just thinking with Illumination Studios we're going to get Steve Carella's Wario in a future film aren't we <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just going to get free money again but, oh, it's Steve Carell. He's the wacky Hollywood guy. He can play the wacky Mario character. Yeah. But again, I'm just thinking, what's the story going to be? You know, uh, that's where it's going to trip up. Yeah. I think. It's going to I be think. Tough. Reserve judgment until the first trailer, because it's going to be what six, nine months before we even see any of this. Yeah. So. And if they continue to update it in directs, then we'll probably be seeing that in like. Mm-hmm. E3 at best, probably. Yeah. I would love it if they had a scene where they transitioned from the 2D Mario art style to the 3D Mario art style. Mm. That would be nice to see something like that or go through all the different eras of Mario. So you go from 8-bit to 16-bit to a 64-bit through to a now. Yeah. Mm. I, I just, nice, I'm just I wondering how they're going to leave, leave her in the game like styles like why how are they going to explain in headbutting brick walls to get coins mario doesn't headbutt he puts his fist just up behind his hat so he punches up he never actually headbutts yeah in my he head he punches yoshi in the head as well yeah he punches <laughs> yoshi in the head yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you look at the sprite he does that's, a, that's, a, that's an abusive relationship <laughs> yeah but um yeah. I think we'll just wait and see, won't we? We'll wait and see. Yeah. Reserve judgment, but things ain't looking rosy at the minute, put it that way. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Lee, where can we find you online? You can find me on uh, Bob the Pet Ferret on YouTube, where I do various bits of gaming content, video essays, analyses, reviews, that sort of thing. Got a big uh, Tomb Raider retrospective that should be up around the same sort of time as this. so uh, I'm glad you finished that sentence with Tomb Raider retrospective. <laughs> and uh, it's the beginning of a, a month-long Tomb Raider retrospective. I've got a couple of other smaller videos to follow that as well. Um, also, you can find updates on the channel on Twitter at Bob the Fat Ferret, and you can find my personal Twitter at The Cheap Ferret. Awesome. Keith, where can we find your details in the internetverse? The best place to find me discussing anything is, uh, of course, on Wednesdays on the Geeky Boomy Twitter channel and also on the website where I kind of round up some of uh, my comics of the weeks. 
Um, so in the pool list are comics I'm actually buying and then on the radar are comics that I'm um, either reading digitally or picking up in trade at some point later on down the road. Uh, and then I just, on my personal account, which is, as if you're watching, you can see it's hardlock underscore hotel. It's basically just retweets of that with the occasional um, moan about public tra transport, which I'll delete 24 hours later. So if you want to catch them, you got to catch them while they're hot. <laughs> Otherwise, I go back and think, oh, i got to take that off. It's not good. Who, what happens later on when I'm going to be cast in a Marvel movie and they kind of dig up these tweets <laughs> complaining about public transport? Um, Are you still doing your black and white image series over on your Instagram? Well, the landmark series may have come to an end. Uh, and I'm toying with the idea of doing a, a, a colour series now, um, which is filling up my phone, but I haven't actually posted them to Instagram, uh, which is hard luck hotel, no underscore, because um, I have trouble coming up with like witty um, or clever captions for them. Um, so yeah, so I, I I I think too much. So I might just start sticking the pictures back up. But go and, yeah, go and check out my Instagram account at hard luck hotel. And you can find me not talking about Bake Off because I've decided to skip this series. So, probably Gorman's a bit quiet at the minute. But you can find me at Ryan Parrish, which is basically the retweet plus like channel for the Geeky Primary Twitter channel. <laughs> but I usually cover off Twitter on a Tuesday and do a tech roundup on a Thursday covering off the hottest in technology news. Uh, you can also find Mr. Matt Lovell, who isn't with us tonight, but he does our esports roundup on a Monday on the website looking into everything that is in the world of competitive electronic gaming and he covers Twitter on Monday's tube. Uh, as Keith has mentioned, you can find him on a Wednesday, you can find Lee on a Friday with the latest, freshest gaming news and his gaming of the week picks. Uh, however you found to stay, whether it's via our YouTube channel, our podcast, or via Spotify or any of the other streaming services, uh, please drop a like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends about it. Uh, that's it for this issue. Uh, we'll be back again mighty soon. But for now, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Cheerio, folks. Yeah.